Good afternoon to everyone. And thank you for choosing to spend your afternoon here with us. For those who don't know, I'm Patricia Ogunfaber and I do a podcast show to help people maximise property values. It's called Maximising Property Values. And it's on your popular platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google, Audible. And some of them you can actually access directly by clicking on the link above. Now, um, that, however, usually is just a monologue where it's just me talking to myself. But since November, 17th of November, to be precise, I've added a guest series. And my guest today is Bushra Muhammad. We are going to get to know Bushra a little bit better today. So who is Bushra? Who is Bushra? So Bushra is a property solicitor. Bushra qualified as a property solicitor in 2006 and has worked at specialist property firms in the past, dealing with predominantly high net worth clients and investors on a variety of matters. She takes particular pride in her smart auction pack legal services that she gives to clients who don't have the knowledge or insight needed to go through the legal packs associated with property auctions in order to reduce the risk before they bid. In addition, Bushra is a regular contributor for a property investment magazine and writes articles on auction legal packs and conveyancing. She also enjoys giving educational talks and webinars for property investors. Bushra has also been a landlord for the past 13 years. And as an investor too, she understands her clients. She understands their concerns and she can communicate her solutions with ease. That there is Bushra. So Bushra, welcome to Maximising Property Values. But before we go into your main activities, we would like to get to know you a bit better. So you are a solicitor. People don't really understand solicitors. They don't know what solicitors do. They don't know how solicitors tick. They don't know how solicitors think. But solicitors are also human beings. So I'm going to ask you two questions, which may well help inform people a little bit better about solicitors and help people to remember that solicitors also bleed, solicitors also breathe, solicitors hurt, solicitors laugh, solicitors cry. So number one, what's the most challenging thing that you've experienced as a solicitor? Hi Patricia, thank you so much for inviting me first of all. So what's the most challenging thing I have experienced as a solicitor? I think the most challenging probably thing that I've experienced so far today was probably the SDLT holiday we all had last summer and the influx of instructions we had placed a lot of pressure on myself, my team at the firm in just trying to manage everybody's expectations. And there was a point that we just said, that's it, we're going to cut off this and this date and say we're not going to take on any more instructions and in every single transactions, we said, look, we cannot guarantee you're going to complete in time for the SDLT holiday, because as you're aware, and everybody else is on this um, a channel, that it takes more than one person to tango in a conveyancing transaction. So you, your solicitor will be doing their utmost best to move the transaction forward. But if the mortgage offer, the valuer, the other side solicitor, they're not all collaborating together to get to that deadline um, is going to be very challenging. Fortunately, we were in a very good position that all our clients that we we envisaged would meet the deadline did, but it was very, very stressful. I was working flat out seven days a week for nearly seven weeks, I think, uh, up until that day. And then obviously, the aftermath after was doing was just assisting the team on any post completion matters, but it was definitely the most challenging thing I've had to experience. And the, the thing is also was that I had only renewed my practicing certificate the year before uh, after a career break. So not only was it I I was in a good position that I had refreshed my memory on a lot of things. I attended a lot of courses on the law side to renew my practicing certificate but it was just 
an astonishing amount of people making queries. The amount of auction legal packs queries I had uh, was were astounding because I just thought, gosh, is everybody really believing that this SDLT holiday is worth it? Um, I, I don't know. We're still going to wait and see whether people do believe they paid good value for those properties. Um, some probably would say yes, but I read in an article earlier this year that a lot of people probably paid more than they saved. <laughs> Do you know, I've been laughing away in the, in the background behind my mic. So it, just to give us, like, you know, to put this into context, how many open cases were you actually dealing with at any point in time, perhaps at the peak of this of this period? Oh, gosh. It's a, it's a tricky one because we have so many that are live matters pre-completion and post-completion. So I would say the live matters are probably close to 40. Yeah. Ooh, 40? Yeah. And oh, no, the thing God. is, people don't appreciate that. And it's one of those things that is one of my goals is to educate the investors, the new buy to let landlords, the new new buyers and sellers out there that a conveyancer's job is very complicated and people often underestimate the complexity of how much we need to know. We don't just need to know how to, you know, it's not just a checklist that people often think we're doing in the background. We have to have so much other background knowledge, whether it be planning uh, and SDLT. That's just a another huge issue that we've got to tackle as well. Um, all the other duties we have as a solicitor is not just to you as a client, it's also to your lender, it's also to our professional body. And there's also another whole load of uh, legislation we've got to abide by for the Council of Mortgage Lenders, the CML handbook. And every day we're working on a client's file, we're being constantly thinking about of all our duties that we have to check the so many things within a file, the ramification for our client, and of course, for our profession as well, uh, our individual uh, liabilities on the line as well. PI, our professional indemnity is going up every year. There's always something going on in the background with somebody slating their their solicitor for having delayed their their transaction or so forth. But people don't always appreciate how much stuff we're going through as well just to get a property over the line. But Nevertheless, those those things happen, but majority of our clients, I would say 99% of my clients have been very grateful. They're very great in terms of speaking to, collaborating with, and moving our transactions forward. And we always get so much joy. I personally get so much joy in terms of completing every property. And as an investor, as a developer, I know what it's like to be on the side. So I empathize that much more. And I, I, believe I try my best in terms of communicating with the client in terms that I understand, they should understand, and just giving that kind of service that I, I would want as well. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, so your second question is this, and it's literally the flip side of what I've just asked you. So what is the most heartwarming thing that you've experienced as a solicitor? Oh, the, I think, uh, to be honest with you, it's been really heartwarming majority of the time, the last, what, two, two and a half bit years since I renewed my certificate. And I think I'll just base it on that. And I would say I've had such heartwarming messages from so many clients and other fellow investor developers who've had um, a great experience in, um, on watching my webinars um, several of my auction uh, webinars I've done, conveyancing webinar, I've done so, quite a lot of um, work with Ranjan Bhattacharya and I regularly get lovely messages on LinkedIn, on Instagram saying, Bushra, I really enjoyed your webinar with Ranjan or this webinar that you did for X networking group. It was really useful. And those messages mean so much to me. People don't realize and just think, oh, gosh, that, that was that's one of those things that I really, really get a lot of kick out of when I do this presentation to try and educate people and so that they 
don't waste time, money and effort and energy when they go to an auction and they can help themselves as much as possible. I mean, I appreciate just as an investor, it's not cheap to uh, just quickly um, send a legal pack to your solicitor to review. And if you can do as much work as possible yourself to kind of minimize how many auction legal packs you want to send to your solicitor, then all the better for you. I went through about maybe 20 legal packs last month for myself, not for a client even. And I just think, well, wouldn't it be good if another investor could sift through those legal packs themselves just to say, well, I know a little bit of basic knowledge. Obviously, I'm not expecting any fellow investor to have the knowledge I've got and the experience I've got. But, you know, the basic knowledge that everybody should have before they start bidding. And uh, with the crazy amount of bidding I've seen in the last two years, I, I just I'm astonished how and why people are bidding on certain things. And every time I think, what did they see that I didn't see? Or are they a complete fool? Wow. So, Bushra, please educate us because this is going to last forever. It's going to be on house <laughs> and it's going to be published as a podcast next week on Wednesday. So please tell us, you know, share with us, you know, because hopefully people who will come back and listen to this can learn from it and then I'm, I'm sure they, they're going to have a question or two, then they can come back to you. So if people want to contact you, first of all, how how is it? How, how do they contact you? What is the best route for people to contact you? Is it email or Instagram or, or how? Yeah, so I'm quite active on LinkedIn and Instagram, as you may know. So the best route would be to f- first contact me via those channels um, and see where, where, where we want to go from there. Then I can just advise you in terms of the next step and give you my email address and take it from there great stuff great stuff so please give us a master class on what people should what they oh, should gosh. know before they come to you <laughs> how many hours or days have you got Patricia for this podcast <laughs> so every time I do a webinar on auction legal packs I say this is not going to be a three-year law degree. I can't condense it in you know, two hours because it would it be fair on you on me. But just to kind of summarize, give you general knowledge in that sense, when you have an auction legal pack, my clients always say, well, uh, first of all, usually <laughs> the first question is, how much is it going to be? Well, the answer is, well, how long is a piece of string? I know it's a cliche, but the thing is, I give a very bespoke quote to each auction legal pack. Obviously, I've got some sort of tier structure and different variety of um, sort of bits that you would add on in terms of what the property is. But what I say is, first of all, send me a link to the auction pack. Let me have a quick look at it because no auction legal pack is the same. No property is the same. Very rarely are they going to be identical unless you buy a new build house. Uh, but then in those circumstances still, the individual buyer is going to be different. So once I get the legal pack, the person will email me. I'll have a quick look. So the first things I will do is look through the legal pack, see whether it's a freehold property, a leasehold property. And then within that, obviously, first thing you'll notice is whether it's residential or commercial. Then once I've done that, I'll go through all the documentation, a quick, very quick overview, and then send a quote to the client and say, well, this is how much I feel it's going to take. um, And this is my quote. And obviously, all along, I'm going to say, well, depending on when the auction is, whether I've got capacity A to do it. And if you're telling me the auction is tomorrow, it may be very difficult. I've actually had somebody call me on the day of the auction and said, Bushra, let's talk through this legal pack now. The auction starts in one hour. And I had to say, I'm sorry, that's not how it works. I can't really literally drop everything in, in a second and go through a legal pack with you on the phone right now. I've never met you. Um, so what I would advise everybody is please, please give your solicitor plenty of notice before you instruct them for an auction legal pack service or any kind of review in terms of auctions conveyances are extremely busy at the moment and if you just help yourself by helping them and say I think the auction's next week and I'm thinking of bidding do you have capacity 
you're going to be in their minds and they can tell you straight away yes or no thank you very much for calling me yes i'll have capacity if you want to get it reviewed today or this week let me know but if you win and that's your risk if you don't uh, have it reviewed then i can take it on as an instruction as well but going back to the auction legal packs so for example if i were to review an auction pack legal pack for myself what I would do is, first of all, is, of course, download the legal pack. That's very easy to do. You go to the auction house website, download the legal pack. Now, just be very wary that legal packs change and get updated all the time. So one day I'll click on the legal pack and it'll have three documents. Uh, three, four days later, it'll be updated and it might have 10 more extra documents. So all along, you've got to be very on your alert to see and try and make sure you register for the alerts to say, okay, when it gets updated, you'll get an email notification straight away. But the main structure of a legal pack is that you first of all should always expect to get the office copy entries from the land registry. So that is usually all the document uh, documents, sorry, everything about the property, the owner itself, and anything that affects the the property in, uh, in itself, for example, uh, notices, restrictive covenants, and those type of legal positions where you must be aware of if it's going to affect the property. Now, on a few occasions, if you don't get an office copy, that could indicate it's unregistered title. And that is very much more complicated and more risky because you have to then prove that there's 15 years clear title uh, which is called epitome of title so it's it it really does take a lot more time it is high risk and you have to make sure that the legal pack obviously shows all the documentation to show that there's been clear ownership 15 years going back because if you are successful at auction your solicitor may or may not have difficulty in registering that property in your interest um, and doing that first registration so then moving on, once you've got the office copy, read that thoroughly. That's a really important document. You should also expect to see searches. So that would be the normal, your water and drainage search, the environmental search, and the local authority search. The local authority search is very important. It will tell you all the local land charges against that property. It'll also tell you some very important information about the area where the property is located. For example, if it's a listed building, if it's a um, conservation area, if there is other things that affect the roads, for example, if the roads are adopted as a public highway, the list goes on. It's a very lengthy document and you should obviously read all the documents in detail. Uh, the water and range search is very important because it will tell you a if the the property is connected to the water mains, whether the surface foul water actually drains to the public sewers. There's been several incidences where people have bought property and they didn't realise it wasn't even connected to the water mains, um, and then realised afterwards they've got to uh, spend X amount to actually now connect it to the water mains. The other documents. Are also you need to be aware of would be the, for example, if it's a leasehold property, make sure you get the lease and read that thoroughly. Other documents might be, depending on if it's a commercial property or a residential property, you may get additional leases, for example, if there's a sitting tenant in a commercial premises. So make sure you read that, that as well. Now, obviously, how you read a lease for a commercial property is different to how you read a residential lease. So I don't want to bore you all in how that differs as well, but just be aware that there's different kind of terminology within each lease as well. So you need to be aware of all the rights that a, for example, a residential tenant will have um, in terms of being still in the property, because you need to know whether that tenant is going to still be in the property if you buy it, or have they already been given notice that they need to vacate when the property is being completed. The other very important point I will mention is the special conditions. Now, this document is probably the first document I always read. Um, now, this can vary from auction house to one auction house, and some auction houses are quite nice, I'll say, is that it's only one page long, but the other auction houses maybe be five pages long, and 
within that, they some of the clauses in that can be very onerous on the purchasers. So you must read that in full because it will contain the clauses that you need to be aware of. For example, if you are successful, you will have to pay an X amount to the seller for searches. Um, and this amount could be up to a thousand pounds. And you, a lot of people may not be aware that they have to, you know, count in their analysis for an extra thousand pounds. The other point is you will have to pay a portion, which might be um, a percentage of the purchase price for the other side, the sorry, the sellers, um, just legal fees. And it could be, it will be written usually in words. So it might say 2.4% of the purchase price to the seller on completion. So you will then need to account for that percentage in your analysis to say, well, gosh, that's quite a lump sum. It would be five, 10,000, possibly more or less. Um, that you need to account for quite a lot of money to be able to pay the other side as well. The other points are also very important in terms of you have to do your due diligence and you basically, when you read the special conditions, you're agreeing to the fact that you've inspected the property, you, you're aware of certain things that might be present at the property, for example, uh, there might be Japanese knotweed, for example, at the property. And if you don't know how to spot that, you've agreed that that there may be present um, weed there and you may have to account for a certain amount again to eradicate the Japanese knotweed at the property. Uh, other clauses will be there that you, know, you need to just be aware, for example, if there's any damage to the property between exchange and completion, you will be liable. The, the list goes on in terms of the clauses. If you just go down to any auction house website, um, and you can just get a feel for it. I always tell um, attendees at webinars, I think before you decide to bid on any anything first to, for your first go, just get a feel for an auction legal pack, read it, familiarize yourself with it so you understand the terminology, the wording, and then just speak to your network and ask them, have you bid on anything before? What do you think this means? And just understand and get, get confident in terms of understanding the the documents that are in the legal pack and then also be very aware that what documents might not be in the legal pack too i've reviewed so many legal packs that i'm i get a bit quicker now each time also to spot okay i'm looking to buy this property but i don't believe this property had planning permission or building regs so there's no document in the legal pack and I can't even see it on the planning portal. So those are things that I will alert in my report to the client to say, well, I think you need to take a risk on this property because these documents are missing. If there's any guarantees, for example, fence certificates, these are missing. But then also giving a solution saying, well, depending on a buy, if you're buying with a cash or a loan, um, a lender, your solution might be you get um, indemnity insurance. Or if you can't get that, what other solutions would there be? And even in some instances, I'll say, I think this this property or this lot is far too risky. I don't think you should go ahead. And if you do, <laughs> that's at your own risk. Other things would be if there's a, it's a planning development a lot, for example, and you'll get a transfer document. And within that transfer document will be several clauses that you will be signing to on completion day as well. So you need to be aware of, for example, overage rights and overage payments, which are payments that if you go ahead with planning permission on a development site, you will need to pay a portion to that uh, owner of the land. So a previous client a developer, she wasn't aware of it. So I did a review of her auction lot and she was grateful that I was able to spot a couple of very important points that just didn't make the deal worthwhile. Um, what other things I'm trying to think? Do you know the one thing that comes to mind, Bushra, and you, you, you might remember some other things as well, is, okay, so um, how easy is it for people to actually understand these documents? You know, looking at a lease, it, 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 it's like words and words and words and words, and then 
Yes. No, I agree with you, Patricia. <laughs> Even as a solicitor, my pet peeve is a, a lease that has no grammar, no punctuation in it. That has to be the biggest pet peeve, and along with the archaic handwriting in calligraphy. As much as I appreciate R in calligraphy, it's really difficult to read. Uh, I often need my magnifying glass on hand just to read some of the documents. And rereading certain documents two, three times is not unheard of because if you have a document, for example, one page long, not a single comma or a full stop in, in sight, it is very difficult. And then on top of that, you will have some archaic language or the grammar will not be as easy to follow as it would be in everyday layman's language now. It is a challenge in that sense, because then I will have to maybe read it, proofread it one more time to say, does that make sense? Or can I flip it the other way around? Does that make sense? OK, now, OK, let me report to the client on this point, because that seems more relevant if I interpret it in this way. The language is not always, obviously, easily understood. I appreciate that. Um, but I think it just comes down to practice. The more you see these kind of documents, the, the terminology, uh, the more you get used to it, I think. It's like with any any profession, really, I think. <laughs> so what about what about these clients who are going to be reading these before they before they actually send you their links and the, and the auction pack? I'm feeling sorry for them. And I feel sorry for you as well, because it's <laughs> one thing that I, I, I I've never been able to read leases ever. Mm. Certain clauses I know where to find and I go yeah. look for them. But to read a lease from start to finish, I don't think I've ever done it. Ever. Oh, ever, ever, ever. You're <laughs> so lucky you, then, Lee. <laughs> you, you've got my sympathies. You've got my sympathies. I, oh, so. I've, I've got better, actually, with leases. Um, it's, it's a tricky one. I think you've got to be in the right mindset, right mind, um, in the right atmosphere as well to be able to just focus. Because... You do need to have a be on alert, I think, with leases. And if it's, of course, if it's a commercial lease or as a residential lease, you've got to have the right mind, uh, the, the frame of mind, sorry, to understand, okay, how am I reading this? How am I interpreting this? And if it's a, a commercial tenant, what does this mean now for my incoming tenant who's going to buy this uh, property with a sitting uh, commercial tenant lease? Um, does there's the certain acts, for example, the 1954 Act, which will give the current tenant the right to extend their lease and stay in the lease as well. Otherwise, they have to go through a certain procedure if they want to um, not stay in that lease. So it, it becomes a bit more complicated in that sense. So certain things are OK. Um, I've had a lot of leases in terms of um, the old housing association purchases um that clients have had uh, you just need to be a bit more wary of certain things that are in those for example you need to understand if there's any payments that need to go back and be paid to the housing association or the council um but because they were so long ago i've not had one single client or person that they could they could then get that uh, liability passed on for example a lot of clients probably not before my time but probably round about when I was maybe a uh, younger uh, girl um, a lot of people bought their properties with the council and and uh, got a huge discount now that discount it doesn't always eradicate it stays with you if you were to sell the property but only within a specific period of time so we do need to do certain checks in terms of that there's no <coughs> ongoing liability to, to go to a new successor in title. Whoa. Right. So um, you said earlier that people can contact you on Instagram and LinkedIn. So let me just share your Instagram link. Now, these pins in Clubhouse, they're not very good with pinning other social media. Um, it just usually just sure. says your I link think, is not, your pin is not allowed. <laughs> I think if you go to, I'm not sure if I haven't updated my bio in a long time. So if you go to my bio, I think right. the link tree should be there. Let me have a look now, actually, if I can. Oh, your link tree. Oh, wonderful, because I can post that then. But in the meantime, you know, for people, um, Bushra, B-U-S, Sierra, that is, 
Yeah. Um, HRA underscore property interest. So Bushra underscore property interest. That's how you get to Bushra on Instagram. And in the meantime, we're going to try and like post, I'm going to try and post a link to Bushra's link tree. And then you'll be able to kind of like access all of her um, main links. Um, so going back to these special conditions, um, what is the highest um, amount that you've seen a, a seller asking buyers to pay by way of buyers premiums? Oh, I would say it's about an, an actual amount stated, probably about six, six or seven thousand. Usually it's stated in words, so it, it can catch people off guard, but it usually is a percentage either 2.74% or it'll say £6,700 or something like that. I th I, I, I'm just guessing, I think it was about that much. Maybe there's, I'm guessing, I wouldn't be surprised if there's more um, on some other lots, but there's quite a huge amount um, that people, if, if you're, say your property is only 200K guide price, it's quite a big chunk, I personally think, to then pay the seller for literally doing nothing, I think. Oh, do you know, I completely agree with you. And uh, literally, some people don't even realise that they've got to pay that. And then they, mm -hmm. they get to completion and then you know, exactly. they're faced with a completion bill. So this really, people, if you're listening to this, this is why you need somebody like Bushra who can go over your auction pack for you because... Otherwise, you're being penny wise and pound foolish. You think you're saving money, but you're not really because it, you're, you're actually going into something that you are not prepared for. Um, because if if you know that you're going to have to pay like £10,000 costs, you should yeah. then work that into your maximum price of that you're going to be bidding for that property. Otherwise, you're going to be overpaying. Of oh, course. Bushra, tell us about some howlers that you've seen people buy in oh. auctions. <laughs> well, I, I can't really comment if I... I have not seen anybody oh. buy and think terrible in auction because oh, I never yes, meet them. That's true. Okay. What about... So I would say, like, the things... <laughs> so none of my clients have fortunately bought anything stupid because uh, I would have told them otherwise. Um I would say like there's been several instances where I've warned them and luckily they didn't go ahead with it. For example, um, something comes to mind is when this developer, he was going to bid on this plot of land and literally the day before, very cheek, sneakily, the, the auction house then uploaded another document to show the transfer document to, to stating that the actual plot of land is now going to be cut in half and you'll be bidding on the new outline of this property which is literally half the size of the the actual office copy registers plan so the unwary person or uh, person who might thought okay i've read all the legal pack it looks fine and not checking it the day before even of the auction house uh, auction web auction day sorry um you will not realize well actually you're buying half of what you think you are buying if you don't keep reading all the documents and be up to date that's happened on several occasions and it's quite common in land purchases um i in fact looked at something and bid on something a couple of weeks ago where it was a house and a very large garden but in the transfer document that was also in the legal pack it stated quite clearly that the new part that you're buying uh, would be only the house and the garden is going to be separated on completion so they're basically splitting the title on completion if you were successful at auction and you wouldn't be getting the garden and obviously as an investor developer myself I was thinking oh that's a great plot a lot I'm going to bid on that one um, because I'll get the extra piece of land you can develop it do so forth but luckily, when you go through the documents, you think, oh, it's not as good as I thought it was going to be. Maybe I'll uh, just lower my uh, ceiling price that much more now. And it's not as worth as I thought it was. But it still did very well a couple of weeks ago at the auction house. I didn't get it, unfortunately, but uh, somebody did. So all these lots, um, I find it very interesting. And unfortunately, you can't see or uh, speak to the person who wins. But it, I find it very interesting how people are now getting so trigger happy 
at home or on the laptop or wherever on the mobile phones probably bidding away and I just don't I don't know I'm, I'm maybe quite fortunate in the sense that I try not to get so emotional um, about the property or the lot even though you've spent hours possibly on this one lot even you know you view it you'll speak to maybe half a dozen professionals to get their opinion you'll spend another couple of hours maybe going through the league pack another maybe hour doing the analysis uh, and you are so almost committed to buying this lot because you think well I've got to justify my two days worth of work and everybody's fees that I've now paid for but you've got to just say well that's also a learning process because I've learned so much along the way and if that's a loss I wouldn't even consider it a loss but it's kind of knowledge that you've gained I don't think you just it's not a win or lose in auctions you've got to then realize if you didn't bid or you didn't win it's you win or you learnt from it as well um, and I think I'd be quite fortunate in the sense that I've bid on certain things and then just went up to my ceiling price and I thought that's it I've, I've learned from this but I'm not going ahead the person who bought this I firmly believe is paying way too much and it's probably pay has several times has paid probably the amount it would be when you've refurbed the whole property and this is on, on a residential one um but several times I've realized I just think I can't understand how this person has made it work there's one actually that comes to my mind just over a year and a half ago I bid on something and the guide price was very low it's only 150k but you will never believe Patricia how much it went for how it much went, it went for one million <laughs> yes yeah one million no. so I've got to put it down in my diary to go back to that address and see what on earth this person who bid on it is doing because I thought it was worth maybe 100 200 k because I, I had thought I had a plan, but one million. It wasn't, it, I just it thought, wasn't a Thames water sale, was it? Uh, I can't remember I, I, Thames water now. I've been, because I, 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 um, a few, uh, probably a few years now, I was looking at um, some land and it was owned by Thames water. And again, the guide prices were really low. No, no it wasn't Thames Water. It was a derelict substation, I think. Ah, they tend, start to Googling go <laughs> they tend to go for a lot because, again, same with my situation. I think it was um, guided at maybe about 50,000 and it went for over a million. And I, yes. I literally sat there with my jaw nearly hitting the floor <laughs> yes so this this is the thing I think you've got to be so emotionally strong with auctions um and you always do I mean even to this day for myself I do think did I miss something or did the other person really act foolish because you just have to wonder I think I was speaking to a couple of other um keen investors who thought oh you know, lockdown, we've got more time on our hands. Oh, Bushra, we're thinking of now, you know, uh, bidding at auction. I said, well, just be very wary. And they're like, oh, we've watched Homes Under the Hammer. I said, well, that is not quite reality. You do realise that. Um, but I think, because I'm just going to viewings and the long queues I see now viewing properties, I just think this is very odd. And I just think these are not all investor developers. These are all clearly who just have maybe have got a bug in the last two years thinking, let's all go and bid something and do a little project if we can, which is fair play to them. But I don't know how much analysis they've done as well. Um, and now it's just now I feel like I'm not just competing against fellow investor developer, um, first time landlord, but also the person who who's just maybe sitting on a lot of cash and now wants a project. Honestly, Bushra, you've just hit the nail on the head. That is Thank exactly you. what's happening <laughs> right now. And it's, it is scary, isn't it? Um, because the thing is, you know, when people do their due diligence, I don't know. I, uh, you see, personally, I love the fact that we can now bid from home. Or I, well, yes, the last time I bid, we, we were able to bid from home. Um, because, you see, when you're in the auction room itself, you get caught up in this atmosphere, especially mm. if you're competitive. You, 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 you forget that it's money and it's not monopoly money. 
and you think I want this I want this I want mm. this um and sometimes it's it's really really difficult um but when you're at home you can you you can step back a bit and and I know that the auction houses again they're not happy um when I don't, um, everything's I don't online. agree sorry Patricia I don't agree I think it's become you? too convenient to pe for people oh, really? sitting at home <laughs> and on their laptop just just a touch of a button literally it was that easy for me a couple of weeks ago last week to bid literally just tap a button and if just by mistake if one of my kids decide to touch it while I went to the kitchen can you imagine I just think I, I think it's far too easy to be sitting at home although I love the convenience I think it's oh. much easier now <laughs> for people to be trigger happy in their pajamas bid on property rather than go and drive all the way to London or get on a train and be present in that room. Oh, do you know, uh, 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 one of the reasons why I say I, I, I like, you know, this being at home stuff, I guess because my kids are now, well, my children, my offspring are now grown. <laughs> I don't have that risk. The only culprit who could do that would be my cat. And I guess I'd lock him out of the room. But you, you, can, you can ring someone yes. like I have people who ring me and say stop me I'm, I'm bidding right now you know what do you think I want to I want, I want to do this I want to do this you know what do you think and I'm going you know once you get to this amount you must stop and then I'm watching mm. I'm watching their progress online as well and I'm saying do not go above you know this particular number so we're crunching the numbers it's, literally. it's really hard I lost oh. out on a on a property a couple of weeks ago by one thousand pounds but you see the thing, Bushra, and this is what I say about this: when you, when you, um, when you, um, when you, when you lose out by a thousand pounds, it's not really a thousand pounds because if you'd gone back in, whoever got it That's would true. have paid more than a thousand pounds. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Auctions. They. Oh, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us so you know as I, you know as i said earlier you can get in touch with bushra through her instagram bushra underscore property interest and um again follow bushra tap on her face here and follow her and find out when she's next doing a webinar when she's next doing a talk and go and listen to this again you know come back listen to listen to the replays listen to the podcast because what she has shared today is just absolutely golden now um bushra talking about charges so this is another document that i've never been able to understand it bores me to death so when <laughs> so i'm talking not charges um searches so um um local authority searches mm -hmm. now with um some um instances especially if you're buying a probate property or somebody who's just gone into a nursing home mm -hmm. there might be some charges attaching to the property because maybe the local authority is paying the nursing home fees and all whatnot or they have done that or they've paid to upgrade the house with double glazing or you know central heating or whatever where do people actually find these um before they come to you or is that something that you know they should quite happily just leave to you to find and advise them on um i've not had that situation before so in a probate property we'd obviously have to get the executor document a letter of um authority from the executor executor sorry and then in that sense we'll have a look at the office copy entries look at the um, lo local authority searches and check what charges there are. So if there's any outstanding mortgage, very rarely there is in that instance, but we'd have to ensure that the property can be um, paid off. Um, local authority charges, I've not come across in terms of what you were referring to in terms of what they may have upgraded, but we would have to do it, obviously we'd ask if I was acting obviously for the buyer, I would raise those inquiries to the other side and ask them because that's our due diligence. That's the part of our duty to you um, as a client. And if you're buying with obviously a lender, duty to your lender to raise those inquiries to say, well, if there are these charges on the local authority search, if they, they have been upgrade payments made uh, to this person, where, where does the...
so those are the things that I would then be really ra raising to the other side to say, well, how how can we move forward in this situation in terms of anything that might be slightly onerous on the local authority search? With everything, whether it be a local authority search, any other search, any document, if you're unsure or I'm unsure, there's no harm in asking the other side for more information, for more clarification, just to reduce your risk and make your asset that much more uh, valuable to you and uh, reduce the risk, obviously, to the lender. Great stuff. Now, um, how easy is it to actually raise inquiries of um, the other side? And, um, you know, just in case there's somebody in the room who's thinking, OK, I can just write to the other side. Or, so the other side, by other side, what we mean is the solicitor acting for the person who's selling. Okay. Um, so how easy is it to, to, to actually raise inquiries of them? And is it advisable, if at all possible, for a lay person, so that is a non-solicitor person, a non-practicing solicitor, to actually raise such inquiries? So are you referring to in an auction. auction or normal no, conveyancing? Oh, oh, an auction. Oh, so if we're talking about an auction, well, I think it's going to be near impossible because the other side solicitor may not speak to you. I mean, there's no harm. I've never raised it because my my in my role in those scenarios is to review the league pack and do a report to the client. But if the client wants to then speak to the auction house, several times I've told a client, I think you should speak to the auction house. Um, I've a couple of times maybe said if you want to reach out to the solicitor, they may be able to help you. They can, they can be, but I would say they're in very rare, rare occasions they will assist you. Um, I think it will depend on the every property is different, every auction house is different. There's no harm in trying. I say, um, what's the saying? If you don't ask, you don't get. So. In an auction house, anything goes as far as I'm concerned. If you want to do it pre-auction or post-auction, I've asked several questions post-auction on a lot um, that I'm hoping to get replies on because quite a few documents were missing in the legal pack a couple of weeks ago and it still it, it didn't sell this particular property. So I'm going to ask for planning documents, uh, some other questions that I wasn't sure about because there was no building regs I could see on the planning portal for works that were carried out. This particular property apparently was a HMO, but I couldn't see any building regs uh, certificate. So I was just a bit wary of what my risk was going to be if I was going to purchase this property. So in this scenario, obviously, I can see that the sellers are motivated. I don't know whether they will then now be forthcoming with the information, but I, I've asked and I'll see what they, the other, uh, sorry, the auction house says, because I'm not going directly to this lister. Um, I, in this scenario, I don't even know who this lister is. Um, I don't think it was even in the document. I could see it in the document. I think it'd probably be one of the searches. That's fine, but I wouldn't really want to go out of my way to contact them. I don't think that's probably professional. I would, in this instant, I would just go directly to the auction house. They're acting for the sellers at the end of the day. Um, and I'm sure, you know, acting for the sellers, they would want to pass on any questions if they want to sell the property. Gosh, wow. Um, you know, I was, I was just thinking back because I'm still shocked. And I think my brain is just coming to terms with, you know, what you um, uh, uh, um, shared with us about, you know, somebody putting into an auction a house and land and then the night before they're making it clear that the land is not yeah included isn't isn't that misleading it, 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 it's, i don't think it's misleading i think it's just the nature of auctions so i think i i think with the auction house you've just got to be on high alert and be very wary You've got to be, I always say to uh, clients and fellow investors, just imagine you're in basically investigator detective mode. Uh, that's your job if you want to buy it from auction. You've got to constantly look at it 10 times, 100 times, just to be sure it is what you think it is. And, you know, the, the famous, uh, well-known caveat emptor Latin phrase uh, so many of us will have heard of is that, your the buyer needs to be aware 
it's your duty to make those investigations, not the seller's duty necessarily to disclose everything in auction unless it's a deliberate misrepresentation. So it is it is very kind of front end heavy with an auction. You've got to do so much investigation um, that you've got to then really put aside a lot of things. So literally the last two weeks I was so busy that I just kind of neglected uh, any <laughs> cooking for the kids and thought, well, I need to read 20 legal packs because I need to kind of, you know, dwindle down what which ones I'm going to definitely bid on and at what ceiling price I think they will be on. You've got to do a lot of investigative work. And because you've got such a narrow period of time until the auction date, it's that much more time pressure. So you've got to really essentially build your team way in advance over a period of time, but just so that you're on the high alert. So your your mortgage broker, your planning consultant, an architect, um, any other professions that you think will be relevant, for example, a builder as well, of course, um, if you're going to do plans on being a development or even a, even a light refurbishment with the costs going high, you need to know what these costs are going to be. Um, and think little things like, for example, if you you've been alerted in the special conditions that there's Japanese knotweed, so I had to do a little bit more investigation. Okay, I think Japanese knotweed can be fixed, but how much should I apportion for for that to be eradicated if it was present when I you know if I was successful? Those those things take time in terms of building your network. That's why networking is so useful. I think. Um, the more you do it on even platforms like this or in person, networking is so powerful because not only are you learning from everybody else's experience, you're also learning to collaborate and help one another. And when, when the opportunity comes, then you can pick up the phone and say within 10 minutes, say, what do you think, uh, uh, Patricia, um, as an architect, do you think you're going to be able to split this uh, property into another flat at the back? Just those 10 minutes, you know, it's very useful. And then you just think, well, OK, if I'm successful, thank you. I'm going to hire you now. Let's get the ball rolling on this PD application if I'm successful. Um, it really is powerful to have that network in place before your auction. The other thing I was definitely going to recommend is if nowadays everybody seems to be buying in a limited company is make sure you set up that limited company well in advance. I mean, it's very quick to obviously set it up on company's house. But if you need to speak to your accountant, uh, do so in plenty of time because it may take them a little bit longer to set it up. And if you've got a certain setup or company structure they need to be aware of, that might take a little bit longer for maybe a solicitor to draft up. Um, and obviously you need to be able to notify the auction house in which name you're going to purchase the property because it could be very costly to amend it after. If I say I'm going to buy in Bushra Mohammed's name, but uh, after I've won the auction lot, I'd say, well, I want to buy in Bushra Limited Company. They may um, charge you a lot of money to be able to amend that. Wow. So, again, I, I, you know, just to reiterate, people, tap on Bushra's face. You can scroll down to the bottom of her um, bio. Her Instagram link is there. But, you know, for people who are not um, on Clubhouse right now, so they might be listening on the podcast, just go to Bushra underscore property interest. So property interest is one word and you will get to her Instagram. And she is, she, her DMs are open. Mm. I, 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 I heard that on Clubhouse. I'm thinking, what are they talking about? Apparently it means, anyway, yeah, she, she, you can contact Bishra through her, um, her, her direct messaging uh, system there. Um, so now Bushra, we've been talking about um, you and how you help um, buyers who want to go and buy in an auction. And mm. in the beginning, you spoke about the different levels that you might be able to offer people. Do you want to just expand on those so that, you know, people, people know and they can they can have that in mind if if, yeah. if they're interested in buying an auction. Sure. I mean, I'd also, I think it's important to point out, Patricia, that I don't just do auctions. I do all the other um, conveyancing transactions. So if you're buying, selling, or if you just need the uh, ILA, we do offer those services as well at the firm. And obviously, auction legal packs is something that I've created as my niche as well. But going back to auctions, 
the levels obviously are going to be different. For example, my fee to a client who's purchasing um, a property up north at an auction for a guide price of 100K is not going to be the same as the developer who's purchasing a plot of land in Oxford with a guide price of half a million. So what I'm trying to educate clients is the sooner you tell me the lot, I can review it and I can then discuss with you over the phone or send you an email and say, well, because it's a, for example, um, a, for just taking a commercial property, for example. So it's a, it's a commercial property. Um, there's already a leasehold. Um, the lease is well in place. So you've, I've got to then obviously not only read a freehold title, I'll have to read the leasehold title as well. So I will just explain to you, well, these are the other main factors that I believe you should be aware of and my fee will be X. But then also I will let you know, well, I think my turnaround time will be three, four days, working days this week if I was to go ahead with it. And there's been certain several occasions where I've said, well, I'm so sorry, but I just don't think I've got capacity this week. But it will just be, well, just so that the client's aware, okay, every month, every week, there's another auction, just be a bit more aware, try and give me as much time as possible and notice so that I can just plan out in my day, my week and say, well, yes, I can take it on. Obviously, I want to help as many people as possible, but I'm only human at the end of the day, Patricia, so I can say just a portion, you know, certain packs might take me a couple of hours, certain packs might take me a whole day to read because it might be a 50 document a development land to review so they obviously take that much longer and much more complicated to read oh gosh yes and just in case anyone's listening to this and they're thinking oh there we go solicitors you know for a hundred thousand it's going to be less for half a million it's going to be more there is also a thing about risk so mm -hmm. with the with the half a million pound property, the solicitor is taking more risk. And that of is course. why their fee is going to be higher. So if you're thinking that, please just get that thought out of your head. Um, it, both of them will be very, very good value. And if you don't, if you if you don't, you know, get a solicitor to advise you, you are being penny wise and pound foolish. Oh, gosh. Now, this is the other thing. It's another pet peeve of mine. And even though I'm a, uh, an investor as well, and I've paid thousands to another solicitor to do my convincing transactions, is certain investors think that they can start haggling for fees. Now, <laughs> we all love a bargain, I'm sure, in no this clubhouse. No way room. whether I love a bargain on getting my kids something or is a bargain on a property but just be very wary when you're starting to haggle and bargain with your solicitor it's it's very difficult and when I for example I sent a quote out to somebody um, last month and I said it's going to cost uh, I think it was 1100 pounds to draft a new lease and she came back and emailed and said, well, my other solicitors quoted £500. And I just think, well, really, I'm, I'm not <laughs> going to now beat you on this quote because this is how much our value is, is this, because we believe we're going to give you a good service. And basically, that's our worth. Um, I'm not going to start haggling down the price just to get your custom, quite frankly. So... Be very careful, I think, if you want to build a long-term relationship with your solicitor, and I'm sure everybody does because we're all in it for a long game, don't start off trying to haggle down prices. Obviously, if you've been with your solicitor for 20 plus years and you've given them 100 instructions, I'm sure they will do it anyway. Obviously, for my certain clients, if they are buying and selling um, and in one transaction and I've got something else going on for them, I will naturally say, yes, I'm going to deduct X amount for you, but not on your first phone call to me. Do not go out of your say, Bushra, can you half the amount? Because it's not going to happen. And then I will not be picking up the phone again to you, quite frankly. It's less than half even. But that, It is not, ridiculous. I've had about three true, incidences like this now, Patricia, and it's, it's quite astonishing. Now, you wouldn't go to your dentist and say, can you half the fee for doing your filling? But, but then but, but, but then even Bishra, there's no way that any solicitor is is drafting a new lease for 500 pounds. 
I don't know. I haven't got the time to say uh, who's this list and how they justifying this because it's not a competition I want to have. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, um, so talking about you acting for sellers. So this is something that I've come across. Well, not, not because they've instructed me, no, but because I've heard about it and I kind of like know people who've done it where people have maybe, um, they've bought a flat. Usually it's a flat. Um, so say they've, say the flat was a one bedroom, they've turned it into a two bedroom and they're now trying to sell it but they've not had any of the permissions that they needed to have and when they f- when they're filling in their property forms they've just said they've not done any works ah <laughs> uh. which when i heard i said oh no wrong thing but anyway do you want to tell people why that's a bad idea if you agree with me oh gosh of course it's a bad idea well first of all if a client came to me and said said me told me the truth I would have a legal duty to say, well, we've got to now tell the other side. And if you don't want to tell, let me tell the other side that I'm going to have to cease acting for you because I've got a a duty to tell the truth under obviously my professional body. But if you don't tell me and then you fill out the forms, well, then I don't know is the honest answer, isn't it? If I don't know and you've filled out the forms and and I've got to then draft the contract send those forms, protocol forms to the other side, they go to make inquiries, just like I, I would if I was on the other side. They go to make inquiries and say, well, it's a two-bed flat. Where's the planning permission? Where's the building regs? And if I can't see it on the planning portal, um, you're going to either have to do something about it now or place an indemnity insurance or something to that effect. Well, and then what might happen if the sale goes through but then subsequently the purchaser realises that they've been misled and prices have dropped in the meantime. Mm. Well, that's interesting because I would then obviously, if I was acting for the seller, I would have to see what we were informed by the client and what we then told the other side. If we were told and we passed on exactly you know, no other information, then really we can't be held liable because if the client didn't tell us and we don't know any more than we've been told, and if you did all, if the buyer solicitor did all the inquiries and we provided them with all the documentation, the answers uh, you have, when you exchange contracts, it means that you should have been satisfied with all the documentation, all the inquiries and replies you've received, then I, I or the firm can't be obviously responsible in that scenario if you've obviously if your property's price has been has dropped since then I think that would be something that uh, we'd have to get you know um, a partner or some some other professional body involved in that in that sense but fortunately <laughs> touch wood we've not had that scenario um, but do you think the seller might be liable to the buyer in in such um, an instance <sighs> I think in that instance it if it was clear misrepresentation and if we already knew and so if so are you saying that the cl- the client the seller client told no, us no, no. The seller client didn't tell you but the seller client lied in the documentation and so the buyer um accepted what what was in the oh, documentation yes yes so then if yeah. it, it we wouldn't be liable but if it was to go further down the route it is possible of course that seller would be liable for misrepresentation and that's just a whole completely different area of law in itself exactly so people if you're listening to this and you've done that sort of thing do not lie to your solicitors do not lie in the paperwork you know do everything that you ought to be doing and you know just don't lie because it can come back and bite you yes (laughs) now that that's obviously not as obvious, but if you're looking at auctions, be very wary what you're reading. Um, just an example, going back to the property I was bidding on, the clients clearly did a lot of work to the house, but there was no planning documentation, um, either in the legal pack or on the planning portal. So obviously you need to be aware that the other side may not be lying, but they may not just be forthcoming with documentation and you just need to be aware of what documents you also need as well. 
Oh, Bushra, do you know, I've learned a lot today and I hope that people in the room have also learned a lot. Honestly, contact Bushra, you wanna buy, you wanna sell, contact Bushra because you wanna do any of those things, you will need a solicitor. And it's just been my pleasure. I am delighted that you came, that you accepted my invitation and that you have shared so much value with us. Um, oh, my pleasure. So today, um, um, today's recording is going to be on Clubhouse. It will be under my profile, under Bushra's profile and under the club profile. So the club is maximising property pound, pound, pound because uh, Clubhouse didn't allow me to write values. I'd run out of characters. So I thought, okay, pound, pound, pound is just as good. So it will be in those three places. But Wednesday week, so on Wednesday coming, this will also be released as a podcast. And next week we have got whom I call an Insta guru, Kazim Ali Balogun. He's coming next week. So he he's he's grown his Instagram from nothing, well effectively nothing, maybe like tens or a hundred to fifty thousand in just over a year so probably 12 months or 18 months something like that anyway oh, wow yeah i know Am absolutely amazing so i'll find out a bit more next week and if you're interested you know come here come and listen but bushra thank you so 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 much for doing this with me and if My you're pleasure. not if you're not already following bushra tap on her face and follow her thank you guys 